If you order pizza online, you're going to get, hey, we're putting the pepperoni on. <laughs> it's in the oven. And so people have that transparency. My husband loves to track every step. Of, oh, the package is in Delaware. It's arrived in Menlo Park. Now it's on our, which we should get it by 3 p.m. today. So as consumers, we're used to that. The reality is, even if we're selling to businesses, the people in those companies, they're not just logos, they're not just accounts, they are people who have these same expectations. We're all consumers when we're not working or even when we are, and people are expecting a lot more of the transparency, accountability, communication, and clear expectations now. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. That was Donna Weber. And Donna's the customer onboarding expert. And she's the author of the book titled Onboarding Matters, How Successful Companies Transform New Customers into Loyal Champions. In our conversation, we're talking about onboarding and taking care of your customers. And we dig into why Donna says way too many companies basically ignore their customers. We explore whether too many companies are still stuck in a paradigm that wrongly prioritizes new business over existing customers and what the consequences of that can be. Donna says that companies have to provide a framework to move away from ad hoc and reactive onboarding to delivering a prescriptive journey of best practices. So we dive into Donna's orchestrated onboarding framework and what that would look like in practice in terms of onboarding new customers. So we get into all of this and much, much more. But before we get to Donna, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it. And if you subscribe, we'd certainly appreciate it. If you could also give us your feedback about how we're doing by leaving us a review. We'd really appreciate it. So thank you. All right, let's jump into it. Donna, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Andy. It's a privilege and a pleasure to be here today. It's a pleasure to talk with you as well. Uh, yeah, we share like some geography, except inverse <laughs> inverse history and geography. <laughs> when I was in the Bay Area in Palo Alto, but now you're in Palo Alto. You were in San Diego, now I'm in San Diego. So, um, yeah, so tell us a bit about what you do. Well, I help companies, high growth companies, create customers for life. And I do that by helping them front load the customer relationship and really driving customers to value and then really looking at how we can scale that so that as their company grows, they can keep all that new money coming in and not uh, be spending it on long and costly uh, onboarding and implementations. <laughs> right. All right. So you published a book uh, about onboarding called Onboarding Matters, How Successful Companies Transform New Customers into Loyal Champions. So who's, who's the target audience for the book? Well, the target audience are generally heads and practitioners of customer success, implementation. Um, implementation is going through a lot of different names right now, professional services, consulting, onboarding, um, and education. So mm. those customer-facing teams that have traditionally been in silos, but in our subscription economy, they need to now work together in harmony for the customer. Yeah, I mean, it, it It seems to me like, as I was reading the book, it's like, well, sure, customer success, but yes, you're right, right at the beginning, you, you say, too many companies ignore their customers, um, which is shocking when you think about it, but I think we all have experienced this, is both being inside and outside companies, is, 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 it seems like really a book for <laughs> the CEO. 
Yeah, I, I would like to see it be for the CEO as well. Absolutely. Yeah, because it's, it's, and we'll talk about this, you know, there's sort of the trade-off between new business and existing business um, and where where growth comes from and where your profits come from. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems like and companies are just stuck in this old paradigm of, oh my God, they just can't help themselves is we're going to throw a shit pot full of money <laughs> at the top of the funnel. Well, oh my God, I, I can't agree with you more. Like there's this world has changed. We are now in a subscription economy and the reality, and you know, I don't know about you, but I, I watch, you know, entertain, I, I get mm. my entertainment through subscriptions. Sure. I just, I was just ordering supplements on the subscription. Um, you know, I, I, a lot, you know, things are really moving to subscription because you get this compounding revenue. Investors love it. Com- companies mm-hmm. love it. Yet somehow, some way, most sales teams are are still stuck in this perpetual license model, where it's all about getting the customer and closing the deal, and not thinking about how you're going to keep that customer and drive them to expansion and 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 value and lo- and lo- lifetime value. Yeah, I mean, I, I, there was this thought leader I was following for a while who summarized it very well. I said, you know, the the purpose of a of a of a business. Is he says to get customers and keep customers. Yeah, it's that simple. Get customers, keep customers. Full stop. And then, we'll um, and then you know what I like to look at. There's a few things to to look at. One, you know, you're not just closing a deal; you're opening a relationship, which is so critical in this subscription economy. Well, let's talk about that because yeah, this is this is so funny. That, not funny, but ironically funny, I guess, is that, is yes, absolutely. You, you're bringing customers on as you're starting, you said, opening up the relationship. And yet there's sort of this whole school of thought that, that some people are trying to develop in sales is that, well, as sellers, we don't need to develop relationships with our buyers. <laughs> you know, the, the, that part's not important. Uh, and it's like, of course it is. I mean, it's it's just. I think it's lunacy when people say that. But if for no other reason, then yeah, it's the relationship isn't doesn't exist purely for the purpose of getting the order. It's it's for building the overall relationship with the customer. Absolutely, and I, I would challenge you there in that sales reps do need to build relationships. I, oh yeah, sales absolutely. Reps are, sales reps are excellent at building these trusting relationships. And, well, um, you know, they're, they're, they, should they're, they should be, or they, they, you know, they often have some real nuances around how to like engage with people. Mm-hmm. Yet that relationship collateral all goes down the drain when the deal closes. Post sales teams don't know what was sold and why. They don't know anything about the customer. They start asking the new customer all these questions that the sales team already knows the answers to. And customers start off feeling frustrated. I mean, I don't know about you, but when I call like for customer uh, services, mm-hmm. um, I called a bank and they transferred me eight times. And every single time I had to tell them my name, my social security number and why <laughs> yes. I was calling. And right. I was hysterical, probably by the sixth one, screaming at them. Now, I don't want to I don't want to be that screaming person, you know, but it was ridiculous that they couldn't even take one you know what, 20, 30 seconds to tell the next person who I am, what, what my needs are? Well, they don't even have to tell them. It's in the system. It should be in the system. <laughs> exactly. I mean, that's, that's the part that's most frustrating. When they ask again, it's like, okay, there must be a security protocol they're following to ask because 
you're looking at my record, so I know you know this information. And let's say that I get transferred and they say, hello, Donna, I understand this is your issue. I'm the level three, you know, tier three expert. I'm here to help you. That's going to make me feel good. I'm going to go good. I'm glad I got transferred because you are the expert who can help me versus just annoyed and um, and ready to strangle somebody. <laughs> yes. So, so you're right that the, it's necessary to have a framework, and we're going to talk about this idea of the trust transition because I think it's a key point. We'll get back to that. But that, um, yeah, you provide a framework to move away from this ad hoc and reactive onboarding and and delivering a prescriptive journey. I like I like that that image because you're the prescriptive to me is saying, look, we're going to be setting expectations with with our customers after they've purchased and hopefully before they've purchased about what this journey is going to be like. Yeah, absolutely. And I just want to like just go back but you know, we'll dive into that. You know, we're talking about the 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 um the drive to close the deal. Mm, yes. The, the thing the thing is, you know, in that um uh I'll, I'll call it excitement to to close that deal, you need to make sure you're not Closing one sale and losing an additional two sales. So what are those two additional two sales? If you close that first deal, do it well, set the right expectations, guide customers to value, then your second sale is going to be customer expansion. They're going to Mm -hmm. use more of your product. They're going to buy more. And then the third sale is a referral sale. They're going to tell their friends. So, you know, in that hurry to close that first sale, we want to make sure we're not uh, 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 missing out on those additional two sales. Yeah, which you can do by the way you act and conduct yourself. I mean, sometimes customers will just say no to that behavior, but sometimes they say yes uh, in spite of certain sales behaviors. And yeah, if what you do in closing the business, you reveal that your motivations really aren't there to help them, but just to get the deal, then you're starting the relationship off on the wrong foot. Then we're in an era of, you know, basically uh, consumer power. So um, over the last decade, consumers have a lot more power around. They can read the reviews. They can, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, kind of determine wh- how they want to buy things. You know, if you want to go buy a car, you, you know, I don't know about you, but you do all the research, you make your deals, you find who's got the lowest price. So consumers yep. have a lot of power. In addition, consumers have a lot of visibility and transparency. I got an email just before our um, our session started about um, I have a UPS package arriving tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And so we have this transparency around I buy something and now I see, I know what the journey ahead is looking like. And right. so I know every step of the way. If you order a pizza online, you're going to get like, hey, we're it's putting the, the pepperoni oven. on. It's in the, yeah. <laughs> it's right. in the oven where, you know, and so uh, people have that transparency. My husband loves to track every step of, oh, the package <laughs> is in Delaware. It's arrived in Menlo Park. Now it's on our, which we should get it by 3 p.m. today. And he'll like tell me, will you get the package? You know, it just arrived. Go get it if he's not home. So uh, as consumers, we're used to that. The reality is, even if we're selling to businesses, the people in those companies, they're not just logos, they're not just accounts, they are people who have these same expectations. We're all consumers when we're not uh, working or even when we are, and people are expecting a lot more of that transparency, accountability, communication, and clear expectations now. Yeah. Well, and you write in the book that that customers make up their minds pretty early on if they're going to churn. 
they may not consciously, but their brains are going to start. The reality is that people, we have uh, brain science, neuroscience, cognitive behaviors that, that, res- that respond to stimulus, whether we're conscious about it or not, whether we want it or not. Now, when we started our conversation, we shared things. Hey, I used to live in Palo Alto. I used mm-hmm. to live in San Diego. And so we're building a rapport. And even if, let's say, you say something I don't like, I'm not going to use that as character assassination because we started off on a positive note. Right. Those first impressions matter. But if you don't really engage your customers and build a relationship, when you get tangled up in technical weeds of long implementations and data migrations and APIs connecting and third-party vendors and, you know, I work with, a, with companies that, that can have long and complex implementations, they can be really hard. But if you mm-hmm. don't have a relationship in place, then, you know, your customers give up, they, they cancel, they pause, they look elsewhere. Yeah, they don't give you the benefit of the doubt. And so, yeah, what you described, Correct. and it's funny, you reading it in your book, because I had written about something similar just from a sales perspective and in one of my books is this whole science of perception, right? That we form impressions or perceptions of people very quickly, and it's hard to dislodge those those perceptions. Even when people are confronted or given you know, evidence that, that contradicts the perception you know, they tend not to jump right away. And so, yeah, if you've built up goodwill, and I want you to tell us about, you know, front-loading front, ro- front loading the relationship, but if you build up that goodwill, if you have hiccups, then you might get that second chance. Absolutely. So talk about, you say it's important to front-load, front, <laughs> I have a hard time saying it, front-load the relationship uh, with new customers. So tell us what you mean by that. So what happens is you, you close the deal, and I'm talking about you know B2B software companies. You mm-hmm. close the deal, you have a great relationship, and then companies use hope as a strategy. So they hope the product gets deployed, and they hope the customer reaches their success outcomes, even though mm-hmm. maybe that was never defined. They hope they don't log too many support tickets, and they hope they're telling their friends. So I'm all about, you know, let's stop using hope as a strategy. And I learned that term from my uh, friend and colleague, Roderick Jefferson, who's a sales enablement leader. Right. He's going to be coming on the show shortly. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I was just chatting with him uh, earlier this week. So, um, so yeah, Roderick shared with me about hope is not a strategy. And I realize how often companies use hope when it, when it comes to getting their customers to value. So um, rather than using hope as a strategy, we front load the relationship and I, I've developed the orchestra, there's six stages to the orchestrated onboarding framework to uh, start creating value, ideally before the deal closes at, or from day one. And that means starting to build a relationship. A lot of the companies I work with, they close the deal and jump right into the kickoff and start diving into timelines and data and all this complicated technical stuff. And it overwhelms your your users, your customers, mm-hmm. and it kind of just you just kind of start with problems. So instead, we start with the strategic overview. We show customers the path to success. We get a handoff from the sales team to the post sales team. Uh, we get some alignment on the customer side so they know what's coming and and why. And then it's time to dive into all that technical stuff and um, and timelines. But we start with the big picture. And help, and, 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 and we talked a bit about brain science. When you use like visuals, then it helps the brain kind of quiet 
uh, and um, and process the information more easily and quickly. So then people are are more um, ready to partner with you. Yeah, I mean, I, it's um, when I was reading that, it made me think of things that I do uh, with my team when we were selling. In this case, it wasn't SaaS, but it was large, complex communication systems. But we found the very necessary step, and we had you know customer success teams, we got program management teams, but they were doing the same function. Is is that it was really important is after the customer signed the order that we start having a call to to reset expectations, because what we found is that especially in competitive markets and competitive situations, so that the buyers, in their mind, they sort of like had cherry-picked the best features of everybody that they talked to and sort of put that was their image of what they thought they were going to be getting. And that you need to circle back through the process about sort of, hey, let's talk about what your requirements were again. This is why we propose this. This is why you decided this was a great fit. And this is you know, how we're going to start this process and deliver what your expectations are. And found it was really a great way, especially as having the success teams involved, to sort of help make that that transition, start that relationship on a good foot. Yeah, absolutely. So with one company I worked with, they provide software and hardware for medical practices. And the buyer might be, um, you know, somebody at a head office of multiple medical practices, and so when the implementation teams would come out and say, hey, you know, office, we're ready to deploy our products, they they didn't even know what they were talking about. They didn't know what was coming, why. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. were concerned, like, well, am I going to lose my job? And are you going to make my life more difficult? They had no idea. So guess what? The, that the team at that office are going to be resisting you every step of the way rather than partnering with you. Right. So what we did was we moved a client, they call them clients, we moved the we moved a client alignment meeting up front, so now mm-hmm. the buyer can bring all those project teams and at the medical practices together, and right. they hear it from their stakeholder, the buyer, the you know the executive. They hear what was purchased and why, and what their expectations are, and how this might be a priority. And maybe the teams can even push back. They said, "Yeah, but we're implementing three other things. How does this fit in?" So then the the customer is taking care of some of that. And then uh, the implementation team and the onboarding team can talk about, you know, the road ahead. Maybe that you hear like, hey, we need an admin for this. And the stakeholder mm-hmm. can, uh, can, can hear this team say that. The company might say, hey, we've got managed services. We can sell that. You know, we, we have that for you. Don't worry about it. It'll cost you this much. So you can, you can resolve a lot of that. And when, when companies have uh, problems with onboarding and implementation, I always look upstream. What, how can we resolve that upstream? So, you know, that, that company still tells me like, oh, nobody wants to have that client meeting. We just want to get to kickoff. <laughs> well, you can rush to kickoff, but it's going to delay. There's going to be problems. It's going to take right. probably 10, 20% longer. All you need to right. do is have a 30-minute to 60-minute meeting to get some alignment, and it's going to save so much time and hassle downstream. Yeah. Yeah, it, it seems like such a simple step. And you sort of raise a point in the book is that oftentimes steps like that are steps that sales pushes back against. And it's like they're afraid that, uh, you know, they're, it's like showing their work in a math problem, right? They don't want to, <laughs> we got the solution, I don't want to show it you is. the work. Well, we got their secret sauce, they got their right. magic potion, and they don't want anyone messing with it. And at this company, 
the head of sales was very much, you know, time kills all deal. I don't want you talking to my prospects. Don't don't touch this. Um, at another company, we moved the first two stages of onboarding into the last two stages of the sales cycle. Which because, you should do. Because for them, the minute the deal closes closed, they're on a race to recognize revenue. So like, great. So let's communicate what's needed. They needed, they, they had like, it was for them, it's a supply chain management platform and it's a B2B mm. to B. Right. And there's actually then, I'm not sure if it's B2C, but there's the business the seller, there's the customer for them. It's like Chevron and Shell, these big right. oil companies. Then they have these contractors that hire all the people. And then there's the people, which I'm not sure. Right. Is that a B or a C? <laughs> That's probably a C. We'll call that. But anyway, okay. yes. So it's like a B to B to B to C. All right. So complicated. And and in order for them to drive that value very quickly and in order for them to recognize revenue sooner, they needed to start collecting all of this uh, information before the deal even closed. So we moved that to the, the first, the last two stages of the sales cycle and their head of success, excuse me, and their head of sales said, everyone needs to be, see the path to success. And I quote him now because he got it. Everyone right. needs to see the path to success. Well, I agree hundred percent. So for me, a critical part of, of actually winning a buyer's business is to be able to present to them this vision of success, you call it path to success, a vision of what success is going to be like. But if you don't spell out what the onboarding implementation and, and customer experience or customer journey is going to be, it's like you've got this big canyon between winning the order and success sitting on the other side of the canyon. And customers, they understand that. They know that's that's falling short of what their expectations are. If they can't see how they're going to recognize the value of what they just purchased, you're not going to win the deal. Well, when I um, interview customers of companies I work with, those customers tell me that they want to be held accountable. So, uh, you know, they l- l- the reality is the users of our products are busy people. I mean, especially with this last year mm-hmm. and a half, you know, in between things going on at home, working from home and all the different projects going on at work. You know, your product is just one of one of that. So they want to be held accountable. They want to know what's needed from them to be successful. Mm-hmm. Um, this one company I worked with, they are, they are a marketing platform for real estate agents. And their CFO, CFO told me they were looking for a product to, for like digital signatures. Mm-hmm. And they um, during the sales cycle, the, the, the sales rep shared with them, here's a link to your, your customer success manager. They had a photo of this person, an introduction. They mapped out the onboarding journey. And in the contract, they detailed, this is what, these are the milestones. This is what we're going to do and how long it takes. And this is mm-hmm. what you must do and how long it takes. And uh, he said, this company has their stuff together. I want to work with them. Right. And it actually, when you, when you have that clear communication, you can shorten the sales cycle. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think what you do is, I would spin that differently, is you, you shorten the decision cycle. <laughs> and, and I think that's really the critical thing, right? This is, this is from a customer's perspective, is a, a risk mitigation strategy. It's laid out for them. They understand how things are going to happen. Uh, yeah, they feel more comfortable making a decision. Absolutely. And the, the reality is, in our world of technology, where it's easier to build technology, software is becoming more and more of a commodity. Mm-hmm. Or any, pro- any product is becoming more of a commodity. And what 
may be setting you apart from your competitors is the services you provide. So um, it may be that by providing excellent service and helping companies who are interested in engaging with you know that you've done this before, you have a methodology you have a system. I'm going to sneeze, so just give me a second. You have, <laughs> That's okay. You have a system of best practices. You know what you're doing. You're guiding them on the journey. Then that is actually a feature that you can be marketing and selling. Well, exactly. I mean, you talk about that as, as part of your stage one of your six stages of your orchestrated onboarding. Embark stage, as you, you talk about that, is that, yeah, if, you should, as a salesperson, you should see your the value of your customer success and your onboarding programs as a value to be sold and a value to be to marketed heavily to your customers. That should be your sold as a differentiator. Absolutely. So let's get back to the topic we started on earlier because we were talking about the six stages. You have your embark stage, your first of your six stages. Um, we talked about. Yeah, how do we how do we transition the trust that the sellers have built up and transition it over to success? And I, I mean, how do you how do you not lose that thread? So interested in your take on that. So that's uh, included in the handoff stage. Most companies think of like an internal handoff, like from sales to CS. I recommend two handoffs. So you have a sales to CS, an internal handoff, as well as a customer handoff. And we, we talked about that a little earlier. Uh, but we'll start with the internal handoff. It's no more, you know, a lot of companies I work with, they are like, oh, well, we have a form the sales reps are supposed to fill out. Or, yeah, it's part of the um, process. And I ask, how often does that happen? And mm. they're like, actually, not much. So um, there needs to be something that is required. Like maybe the deal, the opportunity doesn't close unless that handoff is held or scheduled. That handoff internally may need to happen during the sales cycle or right after. It all kind of depends on uh, the vo- velocity of things. And it's um, it may be that you've got some great information in your CRM that the, that the, um, that the success team can go in and, and, and pull. But, you know, especially if you have a long sales cycle. So let's say if it's, you know, more than a month and the sales reps mm-hmm. really are building these trusted relationships with customers – then in order to set the post-sales teams up for success, it's important to share some of those personality and, and things that they picked up along that journey. So let's say, you know, um, you're, you're my new customer. I'm talking with the sales rep and they said, hey, Andy's a really nice guy. He likes to talk about, you know, a uh, uh, family first before you start diving into details. Great. So now I know, hey, let's I talk about your family. We build that trust. You know, or, you know, Andy is so overwhelmed, he's going to he's got to just kind of like do a big data dump and then he'll be able to listen to you. Or Andy is really technical. You can move quickly versus Andy's not technical at all. And you're going to have to tell him everything three times. Mm -hmm. So those are all going to set me up for success. So we have this internal handoff so that I'm not just learning that they bought 32 seats um, and that the, 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 the license is a three-year term, but that um, I'm, you're set, setting me up for success to engage with the person or the people in the account. And to that point, though, and we touched on this earlier, is, is again, based on you know, the, 
the details of the deal, the specifics of the deal, deal size, velocity, so on. But for something a little more complex with a little bit longer buying cycles, it seems like one of the best ways to make that that handoff is to involve success in the pre-sale, toward the latter stages of the pre-sale, presenting their path to success plan, something to the customer, the onboarding plan, the implementation plan, uh, success plan. And then they experience their firsthand, the buyer. So it makes it more seamless once yeah, the deal absolutely. is closed. Yeah, and with not every with some companies, their sales cycle is very quick. So that doesn't make yeah, sense. So right. that might happen post-sale. Right. By saying if meets the details, because certainly, yeah, if you're trying to sell to a larger an enterprise account and you've got a 90-day-plus sales cycle, implementation is a big portion of the consideration the buyer will have relative to how to yeah, you know, make sure that they're mitigating the risk associated with it. Yeah, you want you want people to be involved. You want your success team involved early on. So then we have the uh, customer handoff, uh, which is like that alignment meeting I just talked about. Mm-hmm. So then um, during the customer handoff, you have that trusted person, the sales rep. They introduce the post sales team if that hasn't happened already. And you're, it's like passing the baton and you're like, you know, transferring that trust from one person to the other, which is really helpful. You engage the, uh, you know, not just the stakeholder, but possibly the project team. And that's an opportunity. Um, uh, um, I leverage what I call success plans um, right. to really review. This is what we're doing. This is why we're doing. This is how we're doing it. Uh, address any questions, concerns, risk, gaps how to escalate issues. So for example, if you get the stakeholder's mobile number, and so if there's a blocker, you have agreement that you're going to call that stakeholder, then you can resolve those issues quickly rather than it all just kind of dwelling in all that um, frustration and delays. Mm -hmm. And I've done that with with companies I work with. So when I work with a company... Uh, we have the success plan during the, I call it the kickoff meeting, but during the embark, right. we go over the success plan. I review the objectives that I defined with the stakeholder, but when the project team's there, sometimes they will uh, want to refine them. They might want to change them. They might want to um, add some input. Uh, we talk about who's responsible, accountable, mm-hmm. consulted, and informed, a RACI model. We mm-hmm. talk about what are your concerns about the success of the project, well, we have so many competing priorities. We agree the stakeholder is going to be the one who will um, clarify priorities if needed. And one company I worked with, and then I get everyone's mobile number so that we can just sure. deal with stuff as soon as it happens. And one company, there was a person on the project team who was a real blocker. And uh, I mean, the minute this person engaged, everything slowed to a crawl. Mm-hmm. And so I called the the CEO. I'm like, hey, this is this person's really blocking. She's passive aggressive. Um, she, you know, she's really trying to kind of protect her domain and, you know, he knew all that. And so we moved her off the project team and guess what? Things like just, we started moving ahead at full speed. So you gotta, you got like, when I work with companies, they're like afraid to address that stuff. But, but, you know, we talked about being transparent, accountable, Mm -hmm. like we're here to like drive success. We're here to transform your company as a result of using our products and services. So if we're afraid to talk about like, you know, you need to connect this API and we're stuck there or you better, right. um, this person's uh, derailing the project. we we got to address those things so, every, so that everyone gets value. Your customer gets value and your company is getting, you know, the revenue and the expansion and the referrals we talked about. Right. 
Well, I mean, you give a template for a success plan, as you describe it, in the book. And, I mean, I look at that and I'm saying, well, sure, that should be part of every proposal. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's if, you're, if you're proposing a solution to a customer, especially if you're a SaaS company, and you don't have that in there, yeah, I, I just think it's a huge vulnerability. I mean, it's, it's a huge opportunity as well, assuming maybe your competitors aren't doing it, is this is how you're painting the vision of success as you're showing people how it's not just going to look good when they purchase it, but how they actually receive the value from the investment. Absolutely. Yeah, and people's going to have, well, you think about from a risk profile as a decision maker or one of a handful of decision makers or key influencers on a deal, especially if it's strategic uh, to the company, if you make the decision, yeah, you know, think about the questions you have to answer after the fact if it goes south and, yeah, you didn't get that level of detail in your discussions with, with the vendor before you signed an order. So at uh, this one company I worked with, uh, they um, so the sales reps were so keen on you know selling, they were promising. Um, they made you know set very high and possibly unrealistic expectations. Yes. Shocking. And then the post sales teams were just scrambling to try to realize those expectations. Right. Implementations were taking very long time and and were beginning to be very costly. So all those new bookings, uh, all that new revenue was being eroded because of all the costs. Uh, to um, to implement, and in addition, they had to keep bringing in the buyers and the um, sales reps because uh, they had to keep resetting the expectations. Mm-hmm. And when I met with their CFO, we looked at you know the labor costs of the long implementations, but was re- right. what was really costly was all the lost opportunity cost or the you know all the lost opportunity sure. slash opportunity costs because the sales reps yep. kept getting sucked back in. And at that time, you know, they, the customers were frustrated. The post sales teams were busy trying to like uh, scrambling to win back the love. And um, in their rush to close new deals, it actually meant that they were missing lots of other deals. So right. that's the irony of this time to time time kills all deals for that company. Yeah. Well, I want to ask you with the few minutes we have left, talk about uh, your last stage, expand. Uh, Couple questions. You have an interesting line in the book or fact in the book. You talk about uh, just is it basically customer success? Yeah, focuses on renewals only when the customers enter a renewal window. So <laughs> I thought, okay, well that's that's a problem. So talk about that. I'm sorry. Can you say that again? Well, you said that you said that one of the real problems is that customer success often only focuses on renewals right. only when the customer basically enters into a renewal window. You know. 30, 60, 90 days before the, the renewal date, yeah, which is uh, sort of late in the game. Yeah, absolutely. So I worked at a company, an analytics company, and we had the renewals team would reach out, say, 90 days, you know, generally 90 days before the, the uh, license was coming up for a renewal. And they'd be like, hey, Andy, how's it going? You know, and then mm. guess what? Sometimes it wasn't going so well. So right. then they, we, at that time, we had these, uh, we didn't have customer success managers. We had customer relationship managers. Mm-hmm. At that time, then this, the, these CRM, we call them CRMs, they were basically owned by this, the renewal reps to like be deployed to, to save these churning, churning accounts. And so then they'd find out, oh, no, there's a, an account at risk, a renewal at risk, and they'd like helicopter in, drop them down right. into the burning fire, and, um, and try to save the account. 
Now, the reality is that uh, rescued accounts are 50% less likely to renew than accounts that never need saving in the first place. Mm -hmm. Um, another, Another company I worked with, their as customer success managers were basically renewal reps, and they would reach out in the last thirty days and go to the renewal, try to get. And they were they were um, uh, uh, measured and incentivized by their renewal close rate. So guess what? All they did was like renewal, 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 and they're like, "Well, we don't have time to focus on the beginning of the relationship." Mm-hmm. We did some analysis on when does that re- churn happen, and the churn happens in the most churn happens in the first thirty days. Yeah. So we moved them to front load the relationship. So we talked about, you know, the neuroscience, first impressions, um, mm-hmm. customers, if you don't get them to value quickly, they fall into the trough of disillusionment. Right. And in our subscription economy, customers, people don't tolerate troughs of disillusionment anymore. So then they churn. And so that's why it's our responsibility to proactively guide customers to value. We talked about front-loading the relationship and getting them to value quickly because that's when the renewal really happens. Right. And so just one question on expansion we haven't really <laughs> a lot of time to talk about, but it's it's something I hear about and see is that broad range of capabilities in terms of success, in terms of ability to develop new business. I mean, new business within an existing account. Uh, to to be strategic and how they approach that. So what should companies be doing in that regard to enable their success teams to be a true business partner with the, the customer and help spot new opportunities and so on? Well, absolutely. Well, I just want to take a moment to expl- explain the expand stage, and then we'll talk about how they can mm-hmm. do that. So the reality is that most likely your product, your SaaS product is updating you know, monthly, weekly, quarterly, most companies, mm-hmm. it's at least monthly, maybe every two weeks, there's new releases, new features, new functions. So just because you closed a new account and you got them to, to go live, check the box, doesn't mean that there's not, you know, there's, there, you have this ongoing value that you're providing. Right. Your product's constantly changing and improving. You're acquiring companies. So there's a need to continue to drive your existing customers to more value in your product and platforms, to your new features, your new functions. So mm-hmm. um, in that regard, expand means like, does onboarding ever really f- finish? Because there's always new things to onboard them. Right. Yeah, onboarding, there's a, that that end to the, yeah, we went live. And in addition to that, maybe you trained and enabled that first set of users, but the reality is that turnover is really high, especially in some industries. It might be 25%. Sure. So great, you train, they're enabled, they're using the product, but maybe in a quarter or two, half that team is gone, and now you need to enable and onboard a whole new set of users. So right. in that, so that's why onboarding keeps continuing, and that's sure. why there's this expand stage. So right. what I recommend is rather than using hope as a strategy to guide customers in this initial stages of the journey and, and beyond, is to create a systematic approach so that everyone knows their role, just like in an orchestra. I call it the orchestrated onboarding mm-hmm. framework because during onboarding, there's so many different players. You might have implementation analysts. You might have professional services consultants, onboarding right. specialists, customer success engineers, customer success managers, support, mm-hmm. education, sales teams. And so 
The goal is to get everyone working in harmony for the customer to provide a seamless journey. And, uh, and so the, then we, you know, when I work with companies, we map out that whole process. We define every step along the way. What is the trigger? What's the success outcome? What are the metrics? Who are the players? And we even define all the swim lanes so everyone knows their mm-hmm. part. And right. just like, you know, rather than having one person, like a customer success manager running around picking up every instrument in the orchestra to play, mm-hmm. no, everyone knows their part. Everyone has the score and they, you know, come in during the right time and then they leave. And, mm-hmm. um, and then they, and the customer is like a partner along that journey. So that's, that's what I do is to help companies create that process. So then you can be consistent then you're driving value, and then you can start to scale as well. Yeah, well, it, it's the term orchestration is a good one because you know it's a term of, that's of art that's being used more and more on the sales side, especially in complex deals. Is how are you orchestrating winning the business, uh, and then yeah, you have to orchestrate getting value out of the the investment that the the customer has made. So yeah, very cool. All right, well, Donna, thank you for joining me. Well, thank you for having me, Andy. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Likewise. So if people want to connect with you and learn more about your book, what's the best way to do that? Well, you can go to uh, DonnaWeber.com. That's uh, Donna Weber with one B, like the barbecue. And mm-hmm. then um, you can go to DonnaWeber.com slash book and look for Onboarding Matters wherever books are sold. Perfect. All right, Donna, thank you so much. Thank you, Andy. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. I'm so grateful for your support of the show. And I, want to, and I want to thank Donna Weber for sharing her insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for your help with that. And thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.